0: I'm going to invite all of our children that are watching at home right now to come closer to the screen, and then we've got some children here today, too, in the sanctuary, and so I'm going to be talking to you for a minute, so if you want to turn your eyes and ears toward me for a minute, I'm going to talk directly to you. Can you see what I've got here? It's kind of small. I wanted to get one that was 12 inches long. This one's only six inches long. It's the only one I could find in my house you know what this is? This is a ruler. It's a ruler. You know, my children love math. My kids love the subject of math. I think they like it because it's so easy, right? It makes sense. Two plus two equals four. And when they're studying for their tests, they can get the answer just right. It can be measured. You know, we can use rulers in math as well. In mathematical equations. I was amazed recently when we saw NASA send a rover to Mars. They used all sorts of precise calculations to do that. But you know what? Today in our story that we just heard some religious leaders come to Jesus and they want Jesus to be able to measure how much forgiveness somebody deserves or how much love somebody should be offered And you know what? One of the frustrating things about our faith is it can't be measured quite like this. What we heard in the story today is Jesus says to this person who who some other people have said, she's done something wrong. And Jesus says, but hold on a minute. Before you get too mad at her, just know that I don't condemn you and I don't condemn her. There's forgiveness and love here for her and for all of you. And that's not measurable at all. It's not like math. Jesus' love for us and God's love for us goes on and on and on and can't be measured. And that is the kind of love and the kind of goodness that we are asked to share in the world as people who love Jesus. So would you pray with me? as we pray to the God who offers us endless and boundless love. Gracious God, we give thanks for all the things in this world that can be measured and can make sense. But also, I ask you to remind everybody here, even the smallest among us, that your great love for us cannot be measured. And it is that love that guides our lives. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. I just want to say how good it is to hear the sound of children in this space today. It is a wonderful testament to the life among us, and and I just enjoy it so much. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. I'm going to guess that every single person in this room has heard that rhyme before, and that everyone watching at home has heard that rhyme before. It is a rhyme that we are taught as young children and that we teach to children and young people to help them learn something about resiliency. It's meant to say that, yes, there are things in this world that can hurt. There may even be things in this world that can physically hurt. But the things that people might say about us that are wrong or incorrect or maybe mean, or maybe spiteful, don't have to define who we are. That we can live beyond those or, or grow past those. And so I think that's a great message. I like that message of resiliency. I want my own children to be resilient like that. And yet every time I hear the phrase, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. It bugs me a little bit. And it bugs me because I think there's more untruth in it than there is truth. Because words are the most powerful things in the world sometimes. We are a people of the good book. (laughs) The Bible, our scriptures tell us that the very creation was spoken into being. Words can be creative and generative. They can bring life. But words can also tear down. They can destroy as well. So sticks and stones can certainly hurt, but so can words As I read through this story again this week, this vivid encounter of Jesus with these scribes and Pharisees and this woman that is caught in the middle of this argument, I couldn't help but think that this is a story full of sticks and stones and words. This story has been very popular throughout the ages, it's been popular ever since the days of the early church. And the funny thing about the story is it didn't even end up in the earliest versions of the scripture. And yet, because it continued to be passed around in the tradition, eventually it made its way into the book of John. And when it made its way into the book of John, it became read more and studied more, and it has had a profound influence. In fact, in our culture today, we will still hear people say things like, Let the person who has not sinned cast the first stone. Or go and sin no more. These phrases from the story resonate with us. They've taken up a place in our common cultural lexicon. So they have resonance. So today I just want to simply invite you in to the story. I want us to revisit the story. But I want you to listen for the sticks And the stones and the words that are at play. Both the ways that the Pharisees and the scribes use them and also in the ways that Jesus does. So imagine the scene. Jesus has just come into the temple, into the house of God, this place where it's supposedly a place where God's way reigns, where God's ways of being and doing are supposed to be guiding everything that happens there. That's the way it's supposed to be. You might imagine that Jesus had walked into this very space, this house of God, and is standing in the place that I'm in and trying to teach. And all of a sudden, while he's trying to teach you, these religious leaders come forward. A small group of religious leaders comes forward, and they say, "Jesus, Jesus, hold on a minute. We have just caught this woman in adultery." The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What should we do? Here, right away, we see that this group of scribes and Pharisees is brandishing a stick. Now, you might say, I don't hear or see a stick in this story. Well, I'm being a little clever here, a little creative. Bear with me, but the word for tradition or law is often said to be canon. Canon is another word for a measuring stick, kind of like a ruler that I had a few minutes ago. And here in this moment, these particular scribes and Pharisees have decided to use their law more like a cudgel, a, a stick to beat someone with, as opposed to a measuring rod for goodness and righteousness and justice and so they use it in two ways one they come and they try to trick and trap Jesus how is this a trap for Jesus well if Jesus is to answer well yes that's what the law of Moses says what if it starts some kind of riot (laughs) what if people then say well then maybe we really should stone this woman it puts him in a predicament because it would have been against the Roman civic law To stone someone or to execute someone for adultery. So they're trying to use the law to trap Jesus, to trick him. And then they also are using these words to harm and to hurt this woman. A woman who did not ask to be put in this situation. She has no name. She is given uh, nothing in the story except that she's a woman caught in adultery. The very words that they are using here are hurtful. They mention the stones, right? The stones, they say that this woman should be stoned. Now, we don't know for sure if this woman would have actually been stoned. There's debate about whether that happened very often by this time in the actual workings of Jewish law. But you know, it doesn't really matter if this woman was going to be stoned or not. Just to simply say it, to put those words out there, it's a threat, it's a violation. And she's been exposed. She's been put in this situation that is extremely embarrassing so we've got the stick and the stones and then these words they call her a woman caught in adultery with no name nothing else so she is diminished to just that one thing that one thing that she has been involved in her life and we don't know anything else about it first of all where is the man that was supposedly involved in this adulterous act whatever it is. According to the law, he should be charged too. And in fact, according to some interpretations of the law, he should bear the brunt of the punishment. Also, there are to be witnesses if you want to follow the letter of the law. There are none. And so, they reduce her with their words to this adulterous woman. I also want to suggest that the text itself does a little bit of dehumanizing of the scribes and Pharisees. It, it only gives them their titles. This has been problematic throughout Christian history where when we read stories like this, stories like this have been used as the grounds for anti-Semitism. As if the actions of a few religious leaders can paint a picture of a whole people. And so we have words that are dehumanizing and that are depersonalizing the people that are involved here so the sticks and the stones and the words are being used to create an environment of accusation, harm incrimination violence and danger so what does Jesus do Jesus steps into the moment they say Jesus what should be done to this woman she should be stoned according to the law And Jesus does this. Jesus kneels down on one knee. And he begins to write in the dirt. We don't know what it is that he wrote. We don't know if he wrote words. The word in Greek can be translated possibly as uh, that he was drawing. So he might have been writing words. He might have been drawing. Whatever was going on though, he provided a moment of pause a moment for these people that are caught up in this group think to step back for a moment, and he's not going to engage them on their terms. That becomes very clear. Some scholars have suggested that this moment might refer to a verse in Jeremiah 17, when Jesus—I mean, when uh, when it is written in the book—that those. That fail to follow God's ways, their names will be written in the earth. So imagine if Jesus was actually writing their names. I don't know that that was going on, but imagine how that would call them back into themselves also. And then after that long pause and not giving any answer, he stands up and he does two things in this one moment. He turns the stick that they've been using as a cudgel, as a way to punish, and he offers it back to them as an invitation. He invites them to think about the true meaning of the law. And he says, if you have not sinned, then you be the one to cast that first stone. Boy, if they had not already been called back to themselves, when he paused, kneeling there and writing... And those words had to do it. And then Jesus takes that stone and he turns it around. And it's like, you want to throw this stone? Well, why don't you think about what you're doing with stones? Also, why don't you think about the foundation upon which we are supposed to be built? God is our rock. So he turns the stick and the stone And then he kneels down again and gives them more time to think. And they start to go away. Slowly but surely, they go away. And then we get to Jesus' profound use of words, so different from what we heard from the scribes and the Pharisees. He stands up and he says to this woman, Woman, have these people not accused you? Have they not condemned you? And she says, no, they have not. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Those words open space. He's already opened space for the people gathered in the crowd to rethink things. And now he's opening space for her. It's an invitation. Using those words. And then he says, he does say, go and sin no more. But it's important to notice something there. It has nothing to do with anything this woman has done up to this point. He offers this as an invitation to restoration, an invitation to do something new. To go about her life past this humiliating, degrading moment and to move forward. I don't think I have to tell you that we are living in an age full of sticks and stones and words. Every time I've thought about this passage this week, I've been reminded that more often than not lately, it seems that when we want to do good, when we want to express what is right and good, what the boundaries are to be, that sometimes we take that and we turn it into a cudgel instead, a stick with which to beat our opponents instead of An invitation to consider the goodness that lies at the heart of why we're saying what we're saying. It strikes me that we are living in a moment where it feels like people want to throw a lot of stones right now. Instead of thinking about how maybe we all need to be considering how it is that we take stones and we build new foundations Together. And boy, when it comes to words right now, we're talking a lot about words right now. What kinds of words should we use? Why do we use them? Why can't we say whatever we want? Isn't that part of what makes us who we are as a people? As I think about the words we use... We're invited to consider that when we exercise our mouths and our, and our vocalizations and we say things to people, that when we do that, we're asked to guard their dignity and their pride as the song says in They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love, we will guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. Those are the ways that we are called to use words. Those are the ways that Jesus used words. And so I simply invite you this morning to think about the sticks and the stones and the words that are in our midst today. I invite you to be people of the Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ, who shows us a different way, a way to use sticks and stones and words to build up and to point to God. And like my good friend Sam McLaughlin at Bell Mead United Methodist said when she preached on this last week, and we remember that God and Jesus convicts but does not condemn. So we are called to discern what is right and what is good. But we don't do it in ways that are condemning. But we do it with sticks and stones and words that build up, that don't tear down. And in doing so, we find restoration. Thanks be to God.